The Business of Being Brilliant, where I explore the human side of work. I talk to business leaders, academics, authors, workplace experts, and other professionals about when they've worked at their best and when they've floundered. We find out how to change organisations for the better so that everyone can flourish. I'm your host, Helen Beedham, organisational expert, speaker, and author of the business book, The Future of Time, how reworking time can help you boost productivity, diversity, and well-being. In this first series, my guests and I delve into the question of how we manage our time at work, from coping with time pressure to reclaiming time for the things that really matter. Join us for a dose of honesty and positivity to help you and your organisation succeed. You can catch the podcast on all major podcasting platforms, on YouTube, and on my website at helenbeedham.com, where you'll also find the show notes. I'd love to hear your views too. You can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram at Helen J. Beedham and on Twitter at Helen Beedham. Now, let's crack on with this week's episode. Hello, it's Saturday the 12th of March as I'm recording this, and I'm looking out at a cloudless blue sky, luscious boughs of cherry blossom, and nodding daffodils in full bloom. Spring is on the point of being fully sprung, and it's not long before the clocks go forward and we can officially celebrate the arrival of British summer time. For me, these are small but significant reasons to feel cheerful, at a time when the daily news from Ukraine brings fresh horrors and fears. As we gradually shed our winter gloom, I've been glad to shed, or at least ease off, my relationship with Zoom and get out and about to some in-person events. This week, I was a panel speaker at a buzzing evening event with the City Women Network to mark International Women's Day, where we were discussing the implications of hybrid working on different employee groups, including women. We were generously hosted at some wonderful offices by St Mary's Axe up on the 21st floor. This week, I'm at the Shard giving a breakfast talk to a number of HR and talent leaders about dealing with organisational time pressure. Both events have fabulous views and yes, the drinks and food are an added draw, I'm not ashamed to admit. And I'm not alone in that. I'm hearing that many employers are enticing people back into the office with free brownies, new coffee machines and other catering perks. Clearly, Food is fast becoming the new route to the office, not just to the heart. However, it's going to take more than free food to persuade stressed and overworked employees to commit to their jobs for the longer term. A new study by McKinsey into what's driving the great resignation has found that an unsustainable workload is a key factor in employees' decisions to switch employers or quit altogether. In a Forbes magazine article this week, I offer a view on these findings, explaining how organisations need to get better at managing boundaries, valuing downtime and allowing more personalised schedules if they're serious about retention. If you're finding that time pressure is sucking the joy out of your work, then why not register for my webinar on Tuesday the 26th of April at 11am, where I'll be sharing advice and tools to manage time better across your team and your organisation. The link is in the show notes and there will be a recording to circulate afterwards. 
The city was noticeably busier this week. If you've been used to working from home and have returned on a regular basis to your office, how are you finding things? Is it easier to work because you don't have domestic interruptions and can have those spontaneous conversations that are so hard to replicate online? Or are you finding you're less productive on your office days and that it's a bit of a culture shock to be surrounded by hustle and bustle again? In an opinion piece I wrote for Business Age last week, I described some of the common virtual and physical distractions we experience, both at home and in the office, and how we can overcome these to focus better and get more done. On the book front, I've been delighted to see the first few reviews of my business book, The Future of Time, coming through online. One reader described it as a fascinating and comprehensive guide to ensuring better outcomes for businesses and their employees. Another reader said it was a timely look at how businesses and employees measure and value, or in most cases, fail to either measure or value, time as an asset. If you've bought a copy, please do post your own review online when you've read it. It really helps others to discover the book. And there's just five days left to win a free copy of The Future of Time. If you spot the book in your local bookshop, take a photo, post it on social media with the hashtag The Future of Time and tag me and you'll go into the draw. The competition closes at midnight on Friday the 18th of March and the winner will be notified the following day. If your bookshop doesn't have it in stock, do ask them to order a copy. They're typically very responsive to customer inquiries. This week, I've been reading Mrs Death, Mrs Death, the debut novel by the poet Selina Godden, which is book nine in my 2022 reading challenge, Reclaim Time to Read. As you might expect from a poet, it's lyrical and masterful in its use of language, as well as being a highly original take on how we approach life and death. The first few pages of the introduction blew me away. So even if you don't read the whole book, do read those first few pages. For week 10 this week, I'll be reading Freakonomics by Stephen D. Levitt and Stephen J. Dubner. One media review commented that it made them, quote, laugh out loud. I'm curious to find out why. Time now to hear from this week's guest, who has led the HR agendas at some of the best-known investment banks and who enjoys a sporting challenge or three outside of the workplace too. Have a listen to this. Hello, this week I'm talking to Alison Troutmansdorf. Ali is an international HR director, board member and triathlete. Her career in HR started with the investment bank Goldman Sachs, where she worked for 14 years in both Germany and the UK in various roles. Ali then moved to Rothschild & Co to take up the role of HR director with UK and international responsibilities. She supported the investment banking and private equity divisions led on diversity and inclusion and well-being for the firm and oversaw their learning and development and talent acquisition programs. Ali sits on the board of the City HR Network, the main council and remuneration committee of Aston University, of which she is a graduate, and on the international advisory board of its business school. She's a member of the Queen's Gallery Group, 
a community hosted by the Mentoring Foundation at Buckingham Palace, which focuses on improving gender balance and bringing about broader change in their organisations. Ali has two teenage children and she actively competes for Great Britain in age group triathlon and is also a keen cross-country runner and distance swimmer. Welcome to the business of being brilliant, Ali. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's wonderful to have you. Having just read out such an impressive bio, I'm guessing you're someone who enjoys a challenge in life. That is absolutely right. I like to live life to the full. So making sure life is is full work-wise and privately as well is something I'm always incredibly focused on. I basically don't sit down. I don't need to sit down. (laughs) You're quite a doer rather than a a being person. (laughs) I get that. That, I get that very much. (laughs) So what other three words would you use to describe yourself, either how you see yourself or how others say they see you, just to give our listeners a sense of of the person behind the CV? Sure. I actually prefer to ask someone else, if I'm honest, to describe myself. And that person's my partner. It's always quite good to ask your partner how they would describe you. And he used three words, focus, resilient and, and resourceful. He always says to me, you know, you're more resilient than you sometimes realise you are. And I guess he chose resourceful because I love networking. I love reading. I love experimenting and, and disrupting. So I can imagine maybe those were the reasons that he chose those three words. Does that sound familiar to you? Is that something that you see in yourself? Yeah, I think often we think we're less resilient than we are. Mm. So that's why I think it's quite good to get other people's uh, perspectives. You know, we help other people in times of trouble. They see us when we're having difficulties as well and and watch us how we navigate through those uh, difficulties. So I was actually quite glad to hear that he felt I was as resilient because you try to be resilient. And certainly in the role in HR, resilience has become such an important thing, especially over the last couple of years. We're always called on for resilience in the HR function. Mm. But I think we had to try to be at least a really steady ship and offer an awful lot of advice to all sorts of people in the organisation during the pandemic. So, yeah, resourcefulness was definitely high on the list, at least as far as what people were experiencing and expecting from us. That's such an interesting point you make about resilience, not just for you personally, but as a function, given the role of HR within the business, but also imagine building organisational resilience, not just to cope with pandemics, but with the ups and downs of business life and and whatever changes evolve. So I imagine that's a big part of your role as well. Absolutely. And, And I found certainly throughout the pandemic that you were working with quite a lot of people that you hadn't typically worked with so the people that I worked actually most with during the pandemic were people in security people in facilities management more so than ever they needed a lot of camaraderie and advice and help in order to navigate through some of the things that we were being asked to do or asked to solve that we had literally never done before I think the other thing that came to pass was we were building networks also externally. So I have a group of HR director friends, if you like, that became a really important network to me and obviously to them during the pandemic. And we've kept it very much 
in place because whilst we don't discuss competitive issues there's all sorts of general issues that we can debate together try and disrupt old-fashioned practices together even create collaborations as well amongst our firms in the name of diversity and inclusion for example so they were incredibly powerful experiences actually those new working relationships I guess they help you both personally and professionally because it's a group of people who understand the world you're in and the role you're in, who can offer an independent view and be a bit of a sounding board. And great that you're able to connect as well on some of the initiatives you do, which is something I see more and more firms getting together collaboratively in the same industry to try and make broader change happen faster. That That's right. One of the things that uh, I think we as a group are most proud of in the independent banking network was that we put together an event for black talent for black students to get to know the industry better because I think for years we'd always all been battling as individual firms to try and attract more diverse talent to the industry but sometimes you need to realize that actually you need to club together and make sure that diverse talent understands that the industry is relevant and open-minded and wanting to attract people from their background. So those kind of things really reap rewards. Yeah, so much more powerful, isn't it, as a shared message that people are hearing consistently wherever their point of contact is within the industry, hopefully. That starts to shift perceptions. Absolutely. And so thinking back over your own career and the path you've taken and the different roles you've held, when have you really flourished? Has there been a particular time or times or particular conditions that you found have helped you to do your best work and do stuff you're really proud of? Absolutely. I always look back actually really fondly at one of my very first uh, experiences. They're always very forming those moments when I worked for Goldman Sachs in Frankfurt because at the time, that was in the early 90s, investment banking really wasn't well understood in the German market. So whilst Goldman Sachs is an amazing brand, it was not very well known at all, certainly not known to the graduates or talented lateral highs. It was a a group of mostly expats that I worked with from other offices at, at the time. And long story short, my job was to help them build the office from a people point of view. So I, I was in a resourcing role, talent acquisition, as they call it today. And I was literally running around the world trying to find German speakers to bring to the business. So it was, you know, essentially also a marketing job because I had to really sell the the business and, you know, and really weed out the talent and also very early efforts to be made on the diversity front as as well because the diversity in the financial services in Germany for for women is still not where it it should be. So you can imagine back in the early 90s, Mm. it wasn't in a great uh, place at all. So we were already starting to do very early efforts to attract women into the industry. And there was no one there that could tell me how to do the job. It was very, very entrepreneurial despite being part of a very large established, you know, over 100 years style organization but I surrounded myself and was fortunate to work with people who I guess were very resourceful at the time otherwise they wouldn't have been in that at that role 
We built the office from 90 to, to 45 and we had to be bold and creative and willing to take a, a chance on things. So it was a perfect environment I found to, to, to learn in, honestly. It sounds so exciting and there's something very creative about being in a situation where you're just trying to build something, isn't there? Even, as you say, within a much bigger corporate organisation. That's right. And I, and I found in particular during that time, although, again, it was a very established organisation globally, the fact that we were building a business made it very unhierarchical. We were laser focused on output. And that's one of the things I often think about today. We in today's world need to be more focused on output rather than input. So I think I was fortunate to have that instilled in my mind at a very, very young age in my career. Yeah, I can understand how that's helped you, you know, get yeah. into your HR director roles, because that's the language that hopefully business leaders are thinking about and Absolutely. wanting to know the priorities. And I love your terminology, laser sharp focus on the outputs. I think that's almost exactly an expression I use in my business book, <laughs> The Future of Time. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if you had a sneak preview. <laughs> so we'll talk more about that. Yeah. Um, and is there a particular piece of advice that has helped you that has stayed in your mind over the years? Yeah, it was actually from that period as well. I can remember there was a, a, a wonderful man. He was a very senior gentleman in equity research at the time who was an expat, came over to manage the Frankfurt office for a period of, of time, spoke German. He wasn't a, you know, an expat without the, the language skills, which we often bemoaned at the time. And I can remember going into his office to try and uh, persuade him to do something. Usually it was to give me money to, to do a recruitment event to attract people to the firm. And it was the first time I'd met him. You know, I felt a little bit sheepish. I was probably 24 years old, something like that. I popped into his office. He could see I was nervous. And he said, look, at this point in time, you're the expert, forget about hierarchy. I know nothing about what you're about to tell me. So go back outside, gather yourself, understand that you're the expert, come back in and be the expert because that's who you are in this situation. And that taught me so not much. And I did do it. I went out, pulled myself together, told him what he needed to do. He asked me tons of questions because very genuinely he knew little of what I was uh, talking to him about. So that's really stuck in my mind and I've shared that with many people. Make sure that if you are an expert, be the expert and have the confidence to do that in the room. That's an amazing piece of advice and a piece of real-time coaching isn't it and look how much it's stuck in your memory the act of having to go out the door take him what he said and then have the courage to go back in again yeah. you know and you're right it's that in the moment feedback and we all think about well certainly in HR I think a lot of us reflect on appraisals and how effective they are for example and there's lots of us that debate whether the year-end appraisal is is actually that effective. I've always personally found that those very genuine and authentic moments uh, of feedback and insight from people do me much more good than when I wait to the end of the year to have my standard appraisal. Mm. So that certainly speaks to maybe some of the disruption that we need to do as well in the, the space of performance uh, management, as many people like to call it. I prefer actually to call it performance development. Management has, in that context, I think, too much of a negative tone. 
I'd love to dig into that a little bit sure. more because I know for some time there's been a general understanding that in the moment feedback or as soon as possible after a piece of work's been done is more effective than waiting perhaps several weeks or months till the next review point. And yet, even if that happens in terms of day-to-day informal feedback, often organisations are still very much married to these fairly static points in the year where they formally review performance. And one of the case studies in the book is a great example of how they've really shifted that to, to have much more ongoing performance dialogue through the year so that at the end point of the year, it's not so much about how have you been doing in your role and and evaluating that, but much more forward-looking, and they call it um, a progression conversation rather than a performance conversation at that point. Is that the direction you think more firms are likely to be heading in? If you could wave your magic wand, what would you fix around performance (laughs) management? I think you need to look at your firm and, and how it functions, because it might not be just feedback to individuals, it might be feedback to teams. So if project work deal work is very much a you know part of what you do sometimes it's appropriate to look at how the team functions together and then of course individual people's roles within that team so in the past I for example had actually um, some quite innovative French colleagues who did it in that way they always did a very formal evaluation of how the project um, had gone and how the team had worked within that. And actually that always came across very uh, positively because really people tucked into the evaluation of how they had performed as a, a team. And it was always a very open and honest conversation. And I think junior people really uh, valued that. So I think team evaluation could be relevant for for some organisations. And also, I think it's got to do with the role of the manager, frankly, because I think the role of the manager and management development has had a bit of a renaissance in many ways or should have a bit of a renaissance. Because I like to see the manager not just as manager, but as coach, because we want to empower our people to be in charge of their own development. Ideally, we're all clever human beings we should be in charge of our own future and how we're developing so why not put that in the hands of your employees and as managers act as coaches to help guide and direct them as they make their decisions and choices around their development that's what conversations between employees and managers should look like more whereas The traditional appraisal is, you know, these things you did well, and I'm afraid there are a few things that people get quite irritated with you around. Usually the average employee walks out that room feeling quite down uh, about what they've experienced. But if they're having more productive coaching conversations throughout the year with the manager, A, you won't come to the end of the year and get these surprises, and B, they'll feel much more empowered to be in charge of their own careers. Absolutely. So let's move on and talk about time at work. As you know, this first series is accompanying the launch of my business book, The Future of Time. And you've worked in probably one of the most fast-paced industries and most time-pressured environments in investment banking uh, and manage global teams on top of that. How do you organise your time at work? Are there little habits that you've developed over the years that help you juggle work and responsibilities and stuff outside of work but are there also times where sometimes it falls over (laughs) yeah time is as you rightly say it's a constant 
challenge and I think in many industries people love to talk people love meetings so you can very easily create yourself quite large problems with your diaries and I've seen that for sure I I always encourage teams to be really disciplined about how they ask other people for for time if you want a meeting have a reason for a meeting have an agenda for the meeting and also be economic with the amount of time you're asking other people to give because in my kind of role for example my whole day could be meetings if I let it happen and that takes I think a little bit of spontaneity out of the day because we all talk about the water cooler moments that we've missed during the pandemic if you're wall to wall with meetings you don't get those moments even if you're you know inside uh, the office if things have, have gone out of control so I, I do think that agendas being economic with time is incredibly important but you need to have that agreement in your team and with other people and be vocal about it otherwise time can literally run away with itself sometimes people block times in their diary for certain things for reading obviously for those spontaneous moments I sometimes put times in my diary that I say look this is kind of like my clinic time if people want to drop in during that time I'll I'll just be in my office doing things and it's no problem to come in and interrupt me so I think you do have to be very creative and thoughtful about planning out at least your next couple of days in advance and if you are very fortunate to to have a, a PA or assistant work very closely with them to figure out how to make the best use of your time and of others. Yes, lots of great tips there for people listening. And one of the things that I found particularly interesting about what you've just talked about is how important it is to speak to other people about your time, your choices and your needs from others and have just really open conversations about that. Because when I write and talk about our time culture at work, what I mean by that is the collective time that we all spend and how my time choices might impact on another colleague's time choices and as a leader how their own habits when they're online when they're available to talk to people those little habits and choices have a significant impact on other people and also the signals they're picking up about what's the right way to work around here I just wondered if that resonates for you. I think also from a DNI point of, of view as well, it's in, incredibly important and we owe that to each other. You know, people that have caring responsibilities, parents, people who have interests that they want to participate at certain times of the day. It's important. Again, know your employees, know your colleagues, because if you understand more about people's lives more broadly and people are able to bring themselves to work wholly, then you will be more respectful about the challenges that they have, their time in the morning or in the evening, depending on what it is they they need to focus. So it's that flexibility piece. Sometimes people want to or need to disappear off to pick someone up or or go and see an elderly relative, but they're perfectly happy to have a a call later on the evening. That's how they've decided to work and and spread their day out. So, yeah, let's be more open-minded. Let's be talking to each other about how time can be used more effectively and flexibly. Yes, and I know in some industries, and probably investment banking is 
an example. We work very long hours. In the UK, it's true. Generally, we have quite a long work hours culture. And yet, as a nation, our level of productivity is is quite low compared to other OECD countries, Mm. for example. Do you think we can change that? So the pushback I hear when I say we need to try and find a more sustainable way of working that works better for everybody that doesn't result in high levels of burnout or stress or mental ill health or or just physical exhaustion, and that'll be better for the individual who's better able to flourish in their career over the longer term and better for the business because they'll see high levels of productivity and engagement. The pushback I hear is, yes, but our clients need stuff immediately. If we don't do it, our competitor will win the client or it's a 24-7 industry. So we have to be highly responsive. It's very short term focused. Is that something we just have to live with? Or do you believe there is a different way that we can shape our organizational cultures? and still meet the needs of clients and still win in the market. Yeah, look, there are some challenges for for sure, but certainly having worked in the industry for quite a long time, I think, again, it comes down to management, delegation and project leadership very often. I think, unfortunately, there are those who are not very structured in the way they think about how to delegate the work amongst the, the project team. It's really important as a senior person that you're very exact in your delegation to your team captains and what your expectations are of the work that you're expecting to receive back. Again, I worked once with a a very senior guy, an American guy at Goldman Sachs. He always said to me, very often I'll hand out work. I'll say to the director, I want two pages, literally two pages, and this is what I want to see. And then the director runs off and said to the associate, goodness, we're going to have to put together a a, a book of of 30 pages. (laughs) And then the associate goes to the analyst and says, heavens, we need to put together 60 pages. Otherwise, we're going to be in real trouble. And then the guy gets his book back and he says, heavens, I only wanted two pages. Why is someone giving me a book with 60 pages? But you see, the mistake that you make there is that you should have the whole team. As a senior person, you need to be talking to the whole team right from the beginning because the junior people want to understand what your vision, what your focus is for for the deal, the outputs that you want to see, the reasons why the client's doing that. So they get a really holistic view. I don't think we do that enough with our junior people and we just hand down work to them without the full context. And if we did that, people would understand what the expectation was. People would be more respectful of each other's time. Um, And we all need to be more demanding, I think, if we're junior people of our seniors to make sure we never walk away not fully understanding what is expected of us. So Mm. I think if there was more discipline built into that, Already you could um, save quite uh, a bit of time, but it really does take some focus and and dedication from those project uh, leaders. And undoubtedly, at times, it will be possible to push back to clients, not always, but of course, as a senior person, it is your responsibility to build the relationship with the client and know when you can ask and know when someone is really serious about tight deadlines. So, again, back to the manager and the role that they have to play to help their team be effective and to be fair to them. 
that's really interesting to listen to about how we always need to probably work a little bit harder at checking the assumptions that everyone's carrying around in their head. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And is there a particular resource that has really helped you in your career or you think would be of particular interest to people listening, whether that's a book or a podcast or talk you've heard? A couple of books I'm reading at the moment. One is called Rethink. It's by actually a guy who does podcasts on Radio 4 and he's collected together all sorts of very small stories. It's a very easy book to read because the the pieces are usually two to three pages per opinion. And there's a piece from Prince Charles, for example, in there. So it's a lot around reflecting on what we've experienced in the past couple of years and how we need to rethink our approach to the environment, to ourselves, to the healthcare system, etc. So it's quite um, thought-provoking to hear this really diverse group of people and and their very micro views on on some really important topics. Another book I found very interesting is by a lady called Janie Van Hool. It's The Listening Shift. And I think listening is something we need to do much more in organisations to help tailor our approach towards our our people, very importantly, and by extension, our clients as well. So Janie's book really focuses in on that. I'm a great lover of keeping an eye on Harvard Business Review articles as well. There are always some really useful nuggets in there to help your thinking. And then networks, as you mentioned, I sit on the, the City HR board I think especially if you're in a small to medium sized firm and you don't have a lot of functional colleagues around you networks like that can be incredibly helpful to help you brainstorm and think through challenges that you're faced with. Thank you for three great suggestions I've definitely made a note of rethink and wonderful to hear Janie's book mentioned because I know Janie as a fellow author published by Practical Inspiration Publishing she's indeed a fantastic writer and speaker so great to hear you've really enjoyed her listening shift as well. How can listeners connect with you after the podcast if they'd like to get in touch professionally? Sure I'm on LinkedIn so Ali Troutmansdorf on on LinkedIn I'm very happy to connect with people there. Fantastic Ali, thank you so much for joining me today to talk on the business of being brilliant and talk so openly about your career and your reflections and the things that have helped you to flourish and the pieces of advice that have helped you along the way as well. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much. Absolute pleasure, Helen. Thank you. That was such an interesting conversation, exploring different aspects of the way we work and how we could improve this. I loved Ali's focus on the team on better ways to delegate and commission work and on adopting a more team-based approach to managing performance where that makes sense. She also conveyed so well the benefits of understanding our colleagues and team members' lives better so that we can all be more open-minded and respectful about our different preferences around when and how we can work productively. And what a brilliant anecdote about the senior leader in Frankfurt coaching her on how to practice confidence in her own expertise. If you've had a seminal moment like that in your career, I'd love to hear about it. Please do drop me an email or a social media post to let me know, and perhaps we can feature a few stories in a future episode. Next week, I'll be drawing together some collective wisdom that my guests have shared 
about how best to manage our time at work as individuals, in our teams and as leaders. So do join me for that. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you have, please do share it with friends and on social media and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts to help other listeners discover the podcast too. All the show notes are at helenbeadham.com forward slash podcast. Join me next week for another conversation about the business of being brilliant. Brilliant.